Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Thank you so much for the good music this morning, the good singing. Praise the Lord for you to lift up our hearts to him and praise through music. Well, I was rather surprised when I looked at the bulletin this morning and found out that I was going to preach on sickness unto death. It didn't sound like a very encouraging, uh, uplifting kind of message. Uh, actually, I was going to preach on growing old with grace, but with the trials our pastor's been going through, taking care of all the things that are going on in his house, I guess he was kind of oriented in a different direction. When we start talking about getting old, though, we have a lot of different reactions from people. You know, people that are up around 60, 70, and 80, they, they either don't say anything or they don't want to admit that they're really getting old, growing old. And uh, I remember my Uncle Ira, he lived to be 102, I think it was. And uh, when he got to 80, he started counting down. And he had a very positive outlook about that. Then on the other hand, when you ask some, they that have six kids and maybe a seventh on the way or just born, you ask them if they're getting, oh, I sure feel like I'm getting old. And then you have these young guys, you know, these young single guys that are footloose and fancy free, the expression goes. And so who does this apply to? Well, it applies to all of us because all of us are growing old. And to some of us, we're in those years where we really are old, and for some of us, it's coming. And for some of us, though we're not thinking about it, there are those around us that we need to minister to who are growing old, and we need to try to be a blessing to them in the Lord. I thought always that I would die just like my dad and my grandfather. My uh, grandfather went out one day and was working on doing some plantings in the front yard of the house. And he had a heart attack, and the next morning he died. My father got up from bed and walked into the bathroom, the house I live in today, the place where I shave every morning, dropped dead in front of the sink. It was gone. I thought that's what happened to me. But that ain't what's happening to me. My process of dying is uh, quite much more lengthy than what theirs was. And it's quite a different experiment than, experience than what theirs was. It reminds me of the lady who said, I had planned to live until I was 70, but now I'm 72. If I'm not going to die, I'm going to have to plan for my old age. We had a man that worked at the piano factory named Orion Osborne. Orion was a real great guy. He was blind. He was an excellent piano tuner, also an excellent piano musician. Uh, and he had a really good attitude. The reason he was blind, and I don't know, I don't think they do this anymore today, especially, well, they used to put drops in babies' eyes uh, to, to prevent infection from venereal-type diseases and so forth. But uh, especially today, especially with people doing home births, they know their history's clean, they don't do that so much anymore. But they, they were doing it routine, standard, back when he was born, and somebody got the wrong drops and they put out his eyes. He went blind. And he was that way his whole life. But he came to know the Lord while he was playing uh, in a bar <laughs> in his young adult life. And he had such a wonderful attitude. 
And he always said, well, someday we're just going to all get together and we're going to sing, ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down and we'll die. And it would be quick and easy like that. That was a song that came out of a uh, bubonic plague of the past where people would have a posy kind of rash as a result of the plague and literally did drop dead. You know, we really never know. For some of us, there may be no warning. For some of us, that may be, may be much warning over a period of time. I would like to just share with you a little bit about my perspective and draw out from that some things from Scripture that we need to be mindful of as we think of growing old with grace. I've had Parkinson's now for 18 years. I came home in 2003, in the fall, October of 2003, and uh, the piano factory was always very busy in the fall of the year because a lot of pianos sold around Thanksgiving and Christmas time. So we were always trying to get a lot of trucks out about that time. So we had worked late that night. It was about 9.30, I believe, or quarter to 10, and Mom had saved me a bowl of vegetable soup. And I was sitting there at the table in my home and eating the vegetable soup, and as I lifted my right hand to my mouth, there was a little quiver like that. Just It was very, very minor. A little quiver like that. And I thought, that's kind of strange. It's kind of strange. And I was seeing a doctor each year, once a year, for physical. I raised it to him, and he said, no, I, I don't think you need to worry about that. Well, uh, as time went by, I was walking through the factory one day with my son Jonathan. He's a big, tall guy, taller than I am. And as we were walking through the factory, he said, Dad, why are you limping? I said, I don't know, I'm not limping. He said, yes, you are, you're limping. And I got to watching myself and found that I was limping a little bit. So when I went back to the doctor that next fall, I said, uh, I wonder if I couldn't have Parkinson's disease. Now, I don't know why in the world I came up with that. I had never really known anything at all about Parkinson's disease or how it developed or where it came from. I did remember this, that I was in the seventh grade at Beager School in Mishawaka, and the principal had Parkinson's disease and was very severe. He used to shuffle around the hallways and so forth. I had that one memory of it. And doctor said, well, you do one of three things. We can give you the medication, see if it helps you, and that would be an indication. Or we could get uh, a brain scan done, see if you have many strokes, or send you to a neurologist. I said, I'll take the neurologist. So uh, that next spring, when I finally got in the neurologist, after he had checked my reflexes and looked at my handwriting and made me walk up and down the hall and jump up and down on a whole series of gymnastics and different things, he says, I have some good news and some bad news. He says, the good news is you don't have a Parkinsonian disease, which can be very severe and very rapid in progression. But you do have Parkinson's disease. And he told me, he said, uh, uh, you should try not to take any medication for it for as long as you can hold out and keep from doing so. Well, this was kind of an interesting situation that I found myself in because all my life, I had desired to be in the pastorate and serve the Lord, and I had done so after getting out of seminary for four years, but there had been a long spell in between there where I was building pianos, and now I had found a place in ministry, and the Lord had led me back in the ministry, and he was blessing the ministry, and I had Parkinson's disease. 
uh, what are you doing, Lord? <laughs> and so uh, I, I followed his instructions, and I didn't eat and take any medication. And I, I first of all, had, I think, I remember on my right side, I think. And so, you know, my song leading started getting more difficult. And I had a tremor in my right hand, and then it went to my left hand. And by 2016, I was so disabled, I could not shave myself, I could not dress myself. Nathaniel will tell you, several mornings, almost every Sunday morning, he would come and shave me and help me get dressed so I could get to church. And you wonderful people here allowed me to actually sit at a table up here in a chair and preach to you uh, with severely degraded condition of my physical body. That may be why I can still think at least a little bit today. And I'm very, very grateful for the great support that I received during those years when I was gradually deteriorating, all during those first years. Well, so then uh, I decided that I would take the medication, uh, and I got the, the doctor, the VA, and they prescribed the medication. I began taking medication, and uh, it's a, it increased my ability greatly. It greatly solved my symptom problems, but not enough that I could really function 100%, and that's what resulted in you calling Pastor Stephen Wesco to be your pastor. And, I, and, then, and then you have been very gracious to allow me to continue to be uh, Pastor Emeritus and have opportunities like this to still be in the pulpit. Well, that went on. And then about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, I went in for my annual examination in January. And uh, the doctor said, your PSA is elevated. In fact, he told me that last, the year before. And I didn't think it would be something to be too concerned about. And uh, anyhow, over the course of a few weeks, because of some delays and different things that happened, my PSA not only was increased, it went through the ceiling. It went up to 350-something. supposed to be down around 4 or 5. That was unbelievable. And uh, I was diagnosed as having prostate cancer. And they were concerned that it might have metastasized into my bones. And so they sent me to Fort Wayne for a body scan. And the word came back that it had metastasized into my bones. And I needed to see an orthopedic man. So they sent me to the orthopedic surgeon on a Monday. And my wife and I went and listened. And he didn't say too much. Did an exam, took a lot of x-rays. And then we got a call. And Tuesday morning, I think, or Tuesday afternoon. He said, you're scheduled for, th for, uh, you're scheduled for surgery Thursday morning. Be there at 6.30. He didn't say anything about surgery. What is this all about? What is it? Well, so I said, what, what, is, what is this all about? He says, well, we feel that uh, your bone structure and your right femur has deteriorated to the point where you're in danger of breaking it very easily, and we don't want you to lose mobility. So we want to put a, a, a pipe pin in your right femur and two screws up into your uh, hip joint. Well, that was new to me. I'd never had any surgery, been in any hospitals before. And so uh, my wife and I were a bit in shock. And I called up the doctor's office and I said, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing anything like this unless I have some good evidence that I need to do this. And so we made up a list of about 20 questions and the doctor wasn't able to see me personally, but over the telephone, he answered those 20 questions. So on Thursday morning, I went in, 
and they inserted a pin in my femur. And uh, so my outlook on life has been challenged, so to speak. Some time ago, I gave a series of messages uh, talked about the reason we get sick. There are reasons that we get sick, you know, because God is in control of these things, and he has a purpose in them. And uh, as I meditated on Scripture, I came up with six reasons that people get sick. Now, first of all, we need to understand that sickness, illness, is part of the curse that came on man at the time of the fall of Adam. The perfect creation which God made and uh, the perfect circumstances under which Adam lived in the Garden of Eden where he placed him uh, were destroyed. And the earth became filled with violence, with destruction, with disease and illness. And uh, the, the race became polluted more and more as time went by through the genetic pool and all those different medical things that happened. And in fact, the the race generally is running down year by year, century by century, as uh, that curse takes effect on all of our lives. So there was uh, that reason, but there are also specific reasons of things that God wants to do. And the Bible doesn't, in a didactic sort of way, go through and say, here are the reasons that uh, people get sick. But if you look at your Bible and meditate on it, think about it, you'll see different circumstances or situations or different people, and they have different illnesses. And you can see by reading the narrative and studying it and looking at other principles of Scripture why God had them get sick, what reason there was for that. And there's these six that I came up with. Sickness that is God's discipline for sin. Uh, God will not allow his child to continue in life, blaspheming his name or discrediting him or whatever it may be without some kind of discipline. Sometimes it's health and physical. And it may be more severe or less severe depending upon what the situation is. We reap what we sow. And so God will sometimes use an illness to get our attention, to slow us down, uh, to change our course of activity in order to deliver us from sin and bring us to a point of humility and dependence and confession to him. Unfortunately, when we talk about people being sick, that's kind of one that some have gravitated to automatically with making assumptions that they should not make. Uh, we, We need to realize that not everybody that's sick is sick because they did something wrong and because God is working, well, actually, some people who carry extremes, they're punishing them. No. No, that's not true. There are other reasons that God gave sickness to us, and that's what these are listed here in in leaflet. Number two, sickness to the glory of God. Remember, uh, I think it was Lazarus and some of the individuals that that Christ raised from the dead. Uh, It was a sickness to bring glory to God, to show that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Bring glory to God. Show that God is the master healer. It identified Christ as the Messiah going into the millennial kingdom. Uh, You know, 
it's, it's exciting to think of some of the prophetic truths in Scripture and then think them through a little bit more deeply than just the list of what happens and the order it happens in. Like, for example, at the end of the tribulation period, the events of the interlude and then the beginning of the millennial kingdom. You know, with all that's going on in the tribulation period, we read about the poisons and the plagues and the things coming out of the heavens and the way some men treat other men. There's going to be a lot of sick, wounded people come out of that tribulation. And it's the sick, those sick, wounded people, uh, along with maybe some healthy or okay people that know the Lord, that will enter into the millennial kingdom and populate the millennial kingdom. Is the millennial kingdom going to start out with a bunch of cripples? Well, the answer is no, because we look back in Isaiah chapter 36, I think it is, and we find there the statement that Messiah is, is, is a healer. That's part of the onset of Messiah is he brings healing. These people are going to be healed miraculously in God's intervention in the course of history so that they, in the beginning of the millennial kingdom, everybody is going to be very healthy and very happy. And so there is a sickness is unto the glory of God. There is a sickness unto spiritual growth. That's always one to consider when you get sick. What is God trying to do? To, what, is he trying to humble me? Is he trying to give me time to think about something? Uh, is he trying to give me time to develop my relationship with him? What, what is he trying to do spiritually in what is happening here? Spiritual growth. Number four, sickness to accomplish God's will. Sometimes he can't get it done unless we get sick because we won't slow down long enough to think about what direction he wants us to go. Sometimes a sickness may bring a disability or a problem on us that disqualifies us from the direction we were headed in and we are brought to the point where we are turned to a different direction in what God wants to do with our lives, what he wants to accomplish. Spiritual growth. Sickness to accomplish God's will. Uh, he does all these different things to try to get our attention and, and use this, like anything else in our lives, to accomplish what he wants to do in our lives. Sickness to bring a person to salvation. Some people don't re realize how weak they are until they understand how strong they're not. And when they understand their weakness, they realize their need for a Savior and receive Christ as Savior. Or perhaps it's the opportunity for someone to go witness to them because they're in a hospital or on a sickbed. And so somebody comes and ministers to them and shares the gospel that may not have other, otherwise done so. And then, of course, the last one on the list is the sickness unto death. And uh, that's one sickness that we all get sooner or later. <laughs> it may be a short illness or it may be a long illness, but eventually we all get a sickness unto death. And we have to discern sometimes when we do get sick if that is God's intention or plan, if it's a sickness unto death or he has some other plan. Now, in my situation, it's a sickness unto death. Well, you say, wait a minute, you, you're getting along pretty good. You, you look pretty healthy to me. You're on your feet. You're moving. Uh, you're breathing. You're talking. You're preaching. Well, that may be true, but... The doctors assure me that I will never, never be cured of Parkinson's. It's only going to get worse, and I never will be cured of the cancer. They can maybe hold it at bay. So sooner or later, it's going to get me. 
So I have a sickness unto death. But that doesn't mean that maybe some of these other categories don't also apply in my life. And so as I consider the fact that I have a sickness unto death, but it appears that that sickness in my case is relatively slow, uh, there are other things I want to ask myself about what God may be wanting to do in my life. But you think about that and what God is trying to do. You know, I, I contracted the Parkinson's. Nobody in my family ever had any of these kinds of things. They all had heart trouble, so I thought I'd die of a heart attack. But in 2003, my first marriage in my children was in 2004. So it's kind of interesting when I think about it. All of my grandchildren will remember me to one degree or another as grandpa who had Parkinson's disease. I don't know what that means, what significance of that is, or how the Lord may use that, but you can see how it, it affects uh, your life and your family and your thinking. I'd like to take the Bible today and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes is quite an amazing book, and uh, I'm not planning to cover everything I got in these notes here this morning. I'm just going to, well, I say meander through it and relax. <laughs> not relax too much, but just uh, be meditative about it. Think about these things a little bit. And so we can apply them to our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12 is a very, I've always been intrigued, especially with chapter 12. And as I studied it, chapter 11, it seems like some chapters that I don't think much about, when I study them, all of a sudden they become very meaningful to me <laughs> because I understand what their significance is. And that's what happened here with chapters 11 and 12. Now, chapter 12 certainly is written to address this question of aging, and 11 to a certain extent, although 11 uh, addresses a lot of other issues and matters concerning life. Uh, but we're going to look at both those chapters, primarily chapter 11 today, and then we're going to look at the, uh, some of the questions that I've listed in my, some of the observations I've made and listed in my outline here, and then look at the rest of chapter 11, or mostly chapter 12, the next time and look at some of the other observations. The observations uh, are not exegeted as such. You know, a lot of the times we take a text and exegete it, hopefully most of the time, we take a, a text and exegete it in order to draw the truth out of it and, and we worry about being prejudiced and have presuppositions and all that sort of thing. We want to pull the truth out of the Scripture. But as time goes by and we become immersed in the scripture to some degree or another and come to become uh, acclimated in it, we start to think things, things start to correlate in our mind, and we come to some conclusions that the, we then go back in the Bible and, and find the verses that apply to those, those conclusions we've come to, and uh, that's more or less what these questions are, and, and yet so many of them, there are verses that very directly teach what my thoughts were. But I'd like to have you look with me, first of all, at chapter 11. It's kind of a fun chapter to teach, too, because the language is a little bit uh, 
mystical. It's, 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 it needs some explanation for the average person to understand what is being said here and what the point of it is. For example, have you ever cast your bread upon the water? How many of you have cast your bread upon the water? Kind of a different, it's an idiom, it's a Hebrew idiom. Let's just look at this. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south, or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee, in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Uh, I'd like for you to think of vanity here primarily in the idea of not worthless but passing. The basic idea of the word that's used here in the Hebrew language is something that passes by quickly. And hence, it's thought of sometimes as being worthless because it passes by so quickly it can't have a lot of significance. But uh, here it is saying that things happen quickly and we need to pay attention and, and take note of them. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. In different languages and different cultures, there are different expressions that people use. Some of them are related to what they're talking about, and some of them don't have anything at all to do with what they're talking about. For example, if I say it's raining cats and dogs, we talked about this with relative to the Chinese students here from the ministry, Brother Gigi's ministry. If I talk about it raining cats and dogs to one of the Chinese individuals, what do they visualize? What do you visualize? Well, I imagine you probably visualize a downpour, right? We say, how many of you don't even know that expression? Is that something out of my archaic past because I'm getting old? You all know that? Is that a common expression today? Yeah, okay. So when I say it's raining cats and dogs, what do you think of? Downpour. You don't see cats and dogs falling out of the sky, do you? Well, that's kind of the way this is. It's an idiom. Cast thy bread upon the waters. It's, it's saying, be generous in giving to others. Be hospitable. Share what you have with other people. And it's, uh, God has a background. The reason it says upon the waters here, there is some relation, is because if, if in that day you had uh, ships that carried goods across the world, 
but they didn't have communication like they have now. So you would put as a trader or a merchant your goods on a ship that was going to some far-off place, and you wouldn't know if it's ever going to return with your profits or not. So you best be wise, choose the ship carefully, but send it off because if God is in control and he takes care of his people and you're wise in how you do things, eventually the ship's going to come back and you're going to make a profit. And so the idea is here, minister to people, like the proverb that says, uh, he that lendeth to the poor giveth, he that gives to the poor lendeth to the Lord. The Lord pays back that thing. And that's the idea here in the cast thy bread upon the water. Be generous, be outgoing in working with people, meeting people, and being helpful to other people, hospitality-wise and in the material things God has given you. Again, the same thought reiterated in a little different way in verse 2. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the ruach, I think it is, word for evil doesn't mean evil in the sense of wicked. It means evil in the sense of a calamity taking place. So it's saying, uh, disperse your assets, your business efforts, your activities over a broad spectrum of people. And, and when you've done that, try to do just a little bit more because you don't know where it's going to go bad or where some catastrophe is going to take place that's going to destroy that, destroy that particular investment. Uh, it's a formula that's used elsewhere in the Bible. Like, for example, when it talks about the Roman soldier in the New Testament, the instruction is carry his, you know, the... the uh, the Roman soldier could commandeer anybody he saw along the way and make them carry his pack for one mile. And the Lord instructed them, if they do that, carry it for two. Carry it for one plus one more. And that's the idea here, is to invest and work and extend what you do prolifically over several alternatives. And then just one more, because you don't know how things are going to happen in the world. And so you're careful and conservative, and you don't put what we would say, all your eggs in one basket. Okay, number three. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Now, the idea here is when the clouds are full of rain, uh, is it true that they just empty themselves upon the earth? It rains in the ocean too, doesn't it? It rains in the lakes, too, doesn't it? What, what good does it do for the rain to fall on the lakes and the oceans and not on the deserts? Why should we have deserts here and have water falling on the ocean over here? That's the idea. And it's saying, hey, count your blessings. Don't look for the problems. Count your blessings when it rains on the land that you can till it and plant it and use it. Don't go around being down in the mouth because all that rain was wasted in the ocean. Of course, we know, we know the cycle. There's more going on there than that. But that's the idea. Uh, it says, clouds be full of rain. They empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fa fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall be. There's a tree on your property, and it's maybe near the property line. It falls one way, and it's on the neighbor's property line. It falls another way. It's on your property line. Don't fret about which direction the tree fell. You had no control over it. The tree fell where the tree was going to fall. 
but there's a God in control. And do you know something? That tree fell exactly where he wanted it to fall for whatever reason he had. So don't complain. Look for the reason that the, what you can do with the situation you find yourself in. In other words, you see things happening all around you. The rain falling on the earth and the water, the tree falling to the north or the south. Uh, don't go back and try to rehash why it fell that way so much as take advantage of where it did fall when it's a blessing to you or when it can help somebody else. He that uh, observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Uh, if you try to plan your life around the weather and what the weatherman tells you, you're in trouble. Because the weatherman doesn't get it right a good part of the time. And sometimes he does get it right, but you can't always plan your life around the weather. God is in control of the weather, however. But you do to the best of your ability what you need to do. If you are sick and weakly, then it's not a good idea maybe to go out in the wintertime when there's a sleet storm. Uh, use good judgment. But don't let your life be overly controlled by these natural circumstances of nature because you need to move forward and be positive. And God's in control of those things. And if you're reasonable about what you do, then God will bless you and he will direct you if you're faithful to him. Uh, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. So in those days they sowed with a hand spreader. And uh, if it was very windy, the seed would blow off the place where they're spreading it and onto the walkway or sidewalk or wrong place and grow in the wrong place, and you wouldn't have a good crop. And that's important to take into consideration. But if you only spread your seed when there's absolutely no wind, you'll never get your seed spread. And if you wait for absolutely ideal conditions, he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. I remember when I was a boy... My grandfather had a farm, and they always came a certain time when the hay grass got so tall that it was time to cut the grass and make hay. And so they cut the grass, but then it had to lay in the field for a couple, three days to dry out. And then you go through the field with a baler and make the hay bales. So the farmer was always careful to try to watch for a time when uh, it was going to be dry so his grass would dry and he could make good hay because if he didn't it would mold and not be good for fodder for, for feed uh, and, and that's reasonable but if you always determine on having just the right time you'll never get the hay in the barn there's a little bit of risk associated with it and so you use your best judgment and you perhaps seek the Lord's direction and what you should do and then you move forward and you do it see this is a book of Ecclesiastes it's saying here that uh, these, these things are all controlled by God. So if you take reasonable effort to make good decisions uh, and follow these principles, it gives God an opportunity to bless you in the midst of whatever else he's doing in the world that caused the tree to fall to the north and the cloud to appear in the sky. Okay, in the morning sow thy seed. In the evening withhold not thine hand, if you have to work late to harvest. For thou knowest not whether they shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly, I skipped verse 5. 
as though knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, that could be translated wind, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. That was, that was the whole point I was just uh, talking about. I almost skipped the verse. That is what it's talking about here. Listen again, it says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of the herd that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. You don't know which way the tree's going to fall. You don't know when the weather's going to be just the way it ought to be. So you seek the Lord's face, you make wise decisions, you move on. I, I love this illustration here. It's especially meaningful to me. Uh, we went to see our new granddaughter and held her in our arms and looked at her pretty little face. and uh, We didn't get to see her bones. <laughs> Thank goodness. That wouldn't have been a good thing. She had bones exposed. But you look at her face, and it's so delicate, so small, so perfect. The little crease in the lips and in the nose and around the eyes. Everything is so perfect. I, medical science, you know, has come to a point where they can explain a lot of things that go on in the womb. But there are still some things that are a tremendous mystery when it comes to the birth of a child, to the child forming in the womb of its mother. And it's, it's saying to us here that just as, uh, if, if we look at it from the average standpoint of us who are not medical people, so we haven't studied that, it, it, it's a great mystery. That's the situation here with God's world. We, we can't figure it all out. We can't figure it all out. But God is in control of it. He designed it, and things are happening uh, the way he wants to direct things to happen. And so we should take reasonable precaution, use what sense we have, and move on. Truly, the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Uh, the idea there really is a sunrise. It's a beautiful thing. Enjoy the beautiful things of life. Enjoy the beautiful things of life that God has put there for your enjoyment. It's a pleasant thing. It's a good thing. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Uh, oh, we've all had a lot of dark days. Christianity has been pictured by some people as a very dull life. You know, the Christian goes around with his mouth turned down, sour, and, uh, because he can't do anything after all. He can't smoke, drink. How's it go? Smoke, drink, or go with girls who do kind of thing? We know that's not true, don't we? No, Christianity and godliness is a, brings a great joy to our hearts. Great joy to our hearts. And that's what's being expounded here. If man live many years, rejoice in them all. Be happy. If the tree didn't fall the way you thought it should have fell, don't get all upset about it. Be happy. Do what you can do to make the most of it. If the, if the clouds come and it's going to rain... You have to delay putting your seed out for a day or two and you're afraid you're going to get to the end of the season and not be able to harvest it. Do the best you can and depend upon God. 
He's got a purpose. Even if the crop fails because of it, he's got a purpose. He's in control. And so we come to verse 8, and it says, But remember the days of darkness. Oh, the days of darkness. Some tremendous dark days for the Kresge family this week. And dark days for the Densmore family a week or so ago. And we could go around the room and all kinds of dark days we, we experience. But don't let the dark days get you down. God doesn't want the dark days to overcome you. So keep your perspective. If a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. It's not like the world is going to end. It's not like the world is coming apart. It's not like that's out of God's care or control. He still cares. He's still involved. He's still in control. So just understand there are going to be dark days. And old age is one of those dark days. When a person begins to lose their faculties, their abilities, those are dark days. And they're going to come for nearly all of us. On the other hand, young men, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. I told you there was something here for everybody, okay? And walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. You young people have reason to be cheerful and excited uh, about your life. And as we talk about getting old and dying, it's saying here, hey, while you're young, enjoy life. God did not put us here so that we could just have trials all the time and just go on trial after trial after trial and struggle and struggle and struggle. We have times in our lives when we do, periods of time. But God wants us to look for those things in life which can pick us up and encourage us and, and understand that he is in control. Rejoice, but remember, you're accountable to God. That's pretty sobering. I'm very grateful to the Lord. I look back over my life. I, I am... You know, there are some things I should have done differently. But for the most part, God has tremendously blessed me in the decisions I have made and the places I have gone, primarily because I came to know him and served him. And I didn't serve him perfectly. And I didn't serve him in all the ways I wanted to serve him. But I don't have any regrets about that. I'm going to tell you, young people, make decisions that are according to this book, according to the Lord, the best you can the best you can according to the Holy Spirit because when you get to be an old man dying and sick unto death like me, you look back and say, I don't have any regrets. Now, understand that. I, I, I do have some regrets, but what I mean is I don't have any regrets about some major decision I had or some major following I went after that, uh, that I regret. There were some things that happened. I never intended to build pianos for 20 years. I intended to go right back into the ministry. That's what happened. 
Instead, I've built pianos for 20 years and raised 10 children. I honestly think if I'd been the pastor for those 10 years, I would have lost some of those 10 children. I don't know. Just looking at my disposition, intensity, and so forth. But I just want to say, rejoice. I mean, especially here, you young people, in this church where we try to uphold. Oh, we're not going to get it all right. We're not going to get all the courtship stuff just right. We're not going to get all our discipline of our children just right. But oh, when you're sitting under parents who are trying with the Spirit of God's their side to apply this book to their lives and your lives, you've got an asset that is invaluable. Invaluable. Rejoice in your youth. But remember, God will hold you accountable. Not your parents. They'll be accountable for their part in it, but you independently will be accountable to God for how you use the opportunity he has given you. You could have been born in Saudi Arabia. You could have been born in Israel. You could have been born in California. But you were born in Indiana. Well, I guess some of you were from Michigan. God knew where you were going to be born. And he had a purpose in it. Rejoice. But remember, you're accountable to God. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. Well, I'd like you to look at my questions here for just a moment before we close. At least do a two, two or three or a few of them. Uh, or, or comments. So these are comments addressed to people who are quote-unquote growing old. Uh, especially people that are kind of like in my situation, where they're growing old with a sickness unto death. And they should be helpful to people who are in that position. They should be helpful to people like Sue Friel there, who's working with people every day that are in that position. Uh, they should be helpful to some of you who have elderly grandparents or aunts and uncles that are in that position. They should be helpful to you in terms of understanding and having the right perspective when you one day get to that position. So I encourage you all to listen carefully and give consideration to these things. Uh, some of these are things that, that uh, are fairly obvious. Some of, them, some of them are kind of obvious, but you really don't get a grip on them until you experience it. And that's the way it is with this first one here for me. Number one, do not mistake false guilt for conviction. Do not mistake false guilt for a conviction of sin because you can't do everything you used to do, you want to do, or you think you should do. You, you just can't go like you always went. You just don't have the strength for it. You get tired. You can't handle the schedule. And uh, people who are not in that situation sometimes don't understand that, that some older person in the congregation can't make it to all the evangelistic meetings from Sunday through Friday. They just can't do it. They don't have the strength to do it. They can't be here at certain activities. It's just too much for them. They don't have the strength to do it. And what's hard is that for them, who have always been very active in doing church work, and now find they don't have the strength to do it. I had, this is how I felt. I felt guilty because 
I should be there. I should be doing this, and I, like I always did. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's the Lord's will. I should be there doing this, and I'm sick and don't have the strength. Guess who put you in that position or allowed you to get in that position? God did. He's not going to call you guilty for doing something he didn't give you the strength to do. There's a change taking place in your life. One of the... You, one of the most neglected thoughts is we all go through seasons of life. We have the season of life of being single, then young married without children, then young married with children, then young married with a lot of children, and then empty nests, and then we die. And all through that, all through that lifetime, the demands on us change some, but our ability to meet demands changes and we may be able to demand one area that we couldn't meet in another area so we need to understand that God puts lines limitations on us and we shouldn't feel a false guilt for something that God isn't really expecting us to do anymore in our lives and we as congregants should honor people who are sick have certain illnesses that come upon them or who uh, who are old, and not expect them to do those things. So, <laughs> I got down here, the danger of listening to fired up preachers. Everybody's experience is different with different diseases. <clears throat> but one of the experiences I've had is to go listen to a preacher preach about whatever subject it is and get all fired up about it. <clears throat> and I sit there and I listen and I get all worked up and I get un under conviction and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then the service is over and I get up and uh -huh! I hope I can get to the car. And all my energy goes into getting to the car instead of doing what that preacher was telling me I should do. And now I feel convicted. I'm not going to do it. I won't be able to do it. Do not mistake false guilt for conviction. In many cases, you can do more than you think you can. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily true for everybody. Uh, depending on what kind of a illness you have or limitation you have, it may be true for you mentally. It may be true for you physically. It may be true for you spiritually. Or all of the above or one of the above or whatever, depending on your situation. But uh, with Parkinson's, it's really a strange disease. They say that a Parkinson's patient left to himself will go over and sit in the corner and not move unless you make him move. Because in Parkinson's disease, your muscles get stiff and you get weak and you just can't move. I mean, you can look at your hand if you're in a downtime or before I was on medication and you have to concentrate to make it move where you want it to. It's work to move. That seems strange to go around doing whatever you do and you just do it. Don't even think, think about it. But to a Parkinson's person, it's hard. But you know what? You can usually do more than you think you can do. And I have looked at tasks that are before me, like this morning, and I thought, I can't do that, Lord. 
I'm not going to be able to do that. I won't go into all the details, but I was a mess when I got here this morning. Brother Vandover fished me out. Uh, you just, you, you, you can do more than you, th than you think you can. So put effort into fighting. At Iraq Steady Boxing, which is a boxing program for Parkinson's people, uh, that's the idea. Keep fighting. They fight Parkinson's like it's an individual, a person with a personality. Fight back. Keep in the battle. Keep active. Use your energies. I remember in Florida this past year, uh, we went down there and several of the families came and visited us. And there was one nature preserve that was really neat because the alligators were right along the side of the trail. And everybody wanted to go on that nature trail. And so, you know, one week one family come, and one week another family come. And I knew I didn't have the strength to complete that whole trail. But I thought, well, I could have just stayed home. But I thought, no, I'm going to give it whatever I got. So the first time was with Jonathan Bethany and the boys. And I wasn't doing too well, so I took my walker. And we got out the parking lot. I walked across the asphalt and down the sidewalk with my walker. And then there was a gravel road. And I said, well, let's see what this brings. I got on the gravel road and got about as far here to the back of the auditorium. And I found out walkers don't work very good on gravel roads. And I, I couldn't get back. And the mosquitoes were coming out. It was just about dark. And so... Uh, Jonathan grabbed me under one eye, Michael grabbed me under the other arm, and they literally carried me under my arms and drug me back to the sidewalk. And then I walked back to the car while my wife swatted mosquitoes all over me and her and made it back to the car safely. Well, I didn't exactly see much. The rest of them went on. But I did have an adventure, you know. <laughs> I got out. Well, the next family came. That was Lincoln and Carice. And they wanted to go see this nature preserve. And I said, well, that... That'll be good. I'll, I'll give it a try. I didn't need a walker that day. I was seeing a little bit better. But you know, when I'm going along, sometimes I can be fine, and five or ten minutes later, I'm completely out of it, physically. So uh, we started walking. We ate lunch at the picnic pavilion. We started walking down the trail, and we just got to kind of the mouth of the trail, and I said to Lincoln, I, gotta get, I, gotta, I can't go. i got to get back before I lose my strength. And so I went back, and, uh, and I sat, laid down on a picnic table in a little amphitheater they had there and, and just meditated and went over some things uh, while they went on the rest of the hike. Well, the next time, I'm, I'm losing track of who was who here. I think it was Stephen the next time. We got all the way to the alligators, didn't we? Yeah, uh, yeah, I know that. Well, anyway, we're going down the trail, all of us together, and you meet other people, and they're vacationing, and you have good conversation. It's fun. And there was a man and his wife and what turned out to be his mother-in-law and, and a niece. And they were going down the trail, and they stopped to rest, and we went beyond them. And so they asked if we need anything. No. So we went beyond them. Well, we got about a few yards beyond them, and I said, i got to go back, or I'm not going to be able to make it. Well, when I get to that point... Uh, I usually have to focus on something and go from tree to tree. You know, my God, I'm going to get there. And I take steps there. And then I rest a minute and pick another object. And that's how I can function. I was kind of doing that. I was trying to hide it. 
I walked by these people, and the guy says to me, you need any help? And I said, no, I'm fine. <laughs> so I went on down the trail, and uh, a little bit later down the trail, just a, just a short distance, I saw a lady coming from the other direction. I said, oh, no, here we go again. She's going to ask me if I'm doing all right. I'm just going to sit down on this bench and let her go by before I go on so she won't see me going from tree to tree. And uh, the bench was in the sun. So I sat down. Well, when I sat down, here comes this guy behind me. And he says, he says I've been stalking you. I've been following you. He, he had decided on his own accord that I wasn't going to make it, and he was going to follow me and make sure I did. So he sat down on the bench, and we started talking. The lady came along. She said, you know, I'm from Canada. In Canada, we don't ever sit on a bench that's in the sun. I thought, I'm not going to try to explain to her why I'm on this bench. So after that, I got up, and we started walking again. I, I got a little rest, so I did pretty good. You know, it turned out that, that that man had been saved about five years ago, and we went back to the picnic area, sat on the picnic, had a wonderful fellowship time between two Christian brothers while they went to see the alligators, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, the next time, I'm losing track of who it was, I made it to the alligators. But I'm sure glad they didn't chase me because I wouldn't have gotten very far. I no more had got there and seen them, and I said, I got to get back. And my wife was all occupied with looking at alligators. I said, honey, I've got to go. And finally I went and left her with the alligators. But <laughs> she was in good care. Some of the other kids were there. Uh, you know, you can usually do more than you think you can. Number three, think creatively. Consider diverse alternatives. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Be diverse. Be creative. Think of different things you can do that you can do and do them. We had a friend named Mrs. Uh, Keller. She was a real example to all of our family. Her son is, I think, the owner of what, what construction company? An Ancon, is it? Was it? You remember Virgil? Mrs. Keller, huh? Pardon? Majority Builders. She uh, was 90-some years old during most of the time we met her, and she had one guideline she followed. That was that every day she did something new. Now, her illness, she was pretty healthy, 90-some-year-old lady, so she could do that. But every day she did something new so that she could stimulate her mind and keep going. Well, I just ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I ask myself, what, what kind of an invitation would be appropriate for a message like this? And I guess it depends on who you are and where you are in life. If you're a young person, are you enjoying life as you seek the Lord's will, is there anything in your life that would get you off track from having a rejoicing life? For the most part, there's going to be dark days that you need to set aside today as you think about this. Maybe there's a dark day in your life, some of you, and you need to just realize that God has his purposes and we weep with those that do weep. But the sun will rise again. Some of you may be in my situation. 
so many different needs, whatever your need. Father in heaven, minister to us now as we sincerely come to you seeking your input in our lives that we might understand what you're doing with our circumstances, that we might understand how to, what decisions to make and where to go and move in a world that may appear at times to be in chaos and disorder, but which you have total control over, even to the falling of the tree or the blowing of the wind. We, say, we praise you and thank you for your word. Lord, speak to our hearts now as we sing this song. And May it bring glory to you in Jesus' name.